lightning, there's thunder. Where there's trouble, there's Donder. Meet Donder. I'm Donder. A.K.A. Jeff. Maybe we can work together someday. That would be a dream come true. Jeff wants to be a superhero. You got a pen? Uh, uh, yeah, in my fanny pack. But he's not very super. Help! He has one chance to prove himself. My name is Candace. I'm with the Nondescript. That's the biggest super agency in the city. But will that be enough? What if I'm not very good at picking teammates? Here's the plan. I punch him. Then I punch him. I'll pull off his penis and punch him in the balls with it. When we put so much into becoming someone we never become, we forget one important thing. I've been chasing one thing for so long, I, I don't even know who I am without it. We never stop becoming. Listen to Tights on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you haven't done so already, you know how podcasts work. You can subscribe to it, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher almost everywhere you can find a podcast it'd be really cool if you rate it five stars and leave a review wherever you get it like the podcast on facebook at facebook.com slash my first sketch follow along on twitter i'll be honest i don't use it that often head to my where i'll post randomly stuff we talk about the episodes any questions thoughts or recommendations feel free to email me at josh at my first and i'll get back to you as soon as i can if you're a real person because I still don't want that drone. If you didn't fast forward through the first minute or so of this episode, you heard a trailer for an audio show called Tights. If you fast forward it, go back and listen right now. Do it. One of my best friends, Greta C. Wink, has been working on this idea for years, finally turning it into an 11-episode podcast series about a young man in Philadelphia who dreams of being a superhero in a world where the real superheroes are corporately sponsored. The episodes average about 10 minutes, so if you binge through them all, it's basically the length of a regular movie. And if you listen, you might recognize my voice as a few minor characters. So I can add voice actor to my resume now. So, I got that going for me. Search for Tights wherever you get your podcasts. Speaking of podcasts from my friends, here's a couple more I think you'd like. Hey. I'm AJ Schrader, and I believe everyone has a story worth telling, and also that I should potentially profit off of their stories. That's why I started the podcast I Wrote to a Pilot, where each episode I talk to a not-yet-famous person about their television interest and then make them read a television pilot I hastily wrote for them with the hopes of catching the eyes of the president of television. It's available on most major podcast platforms, or you can find out more directly at iwrotetoapilot.podbean.com. Are you a fan of sketch comedy like Monty Python, Key and Peele, and Saturday Night Live? Have you ever wondered why their sketches are funny? Or maybe why that certain sketch didn't make you laugh? On the comedy podcast Sketch Nerds, we aim to answer those questions while having fun talking about the history and craft of sketch comedy. Every episode features a guest to help us break down our favorite sketches, as well as those submitted by listeners like you. So come nerd out with us and listen to Sketch Nerds at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Today's guest is Evan Ford Barden, currently a member of Young Douglas, based in New York City. Every Monday night, Young Douglas hosts Acorns, a sketch comedy showcase at the Squirrel Theater in New York City. Evan's first sketch is called Bad Employee. I read the role of Tony, Evan reads the role of Evan, and he'll give you whatever other visual information you need to know. So let's get to it. Let's get to the sketch. Evan standing by water cooler sipping water. Tony approaches with coffee mug. Hey, Evan, did you get me those budget projections into me? I had sex with your wife. What? I uh, made dirty love to your bride. Oh, man. I can't believe this. Sips coffee. And I took a piss in your coffee. No way. That's terrible. Sips coffee again. This is questionable behavior, Evan. I'm going to have to go to my office and think about this for a while. 
Yeah. Um, the thing is, it might not be the best place to think right now. I covered your office wall to wall with pictures of the Challenger accident. Evan, this is downright unacceptable. What the hell's gotten into you? If you keep acting this way, I might have to think about typing up a report to submit to HR. Well, you you could do that, but I took a dump on your keyboard a few minutes ago. Might be kind of... Uh... Oh, man, not my keyboard. Sips coffee. Jeez, wait until my wife hears... Oh, no, wait, the sex. I almost forgot. Yeah. Bummer. 20 years of faithful marriage tainted. We've been having sex for about 16 of those years. Oh. Looks away, sips coffee. Well, at least my kids still love me. I'd be nothing without my boys. See, the thing about your kids, hear me out, is I've had them kidnapped and their organs harvested for sale on the black market. They actually went for pretty good money. I was surprised. Both of them? Yeah, man. Shit. Sips coffee. Tough times. This is worse than when our dog died. I've got to get out of here. Go visit my grandmother at Holyoke Cemetery. Clear my mind a bit. It's really the only place I can reflect on stuff. It's funny you should mention that. And trust me, you're going to get a kick out of this because I actually dug up your grandmother's casket last night and defiled her corpse. Then I reburied her at St. Sebastian Cemetery over in Lakewood. What? No, Grandma? Wait, why did you rebury her in Lakewood? Not really sure. I've always liked that town. I just went where the night took me. Wow. Looks hopefully at Evan. Yeah, Grandpa too. Thought so, geez. Oh, what a day. But hey, things can't be all bad. At least I got food, clothes, and a roof over my head. Thank God I just finished paying off that 30-year mortgage. No banging on the streets for me. Actually, that place should be a pretty swinging bachelor pad. Tony, I'm sorry that I have to be the one to tell you this, but I set your house on fire and it burned down. Oh, I definitely didn't see that coming. Like, it's very ironic that I said that and you... Sips coffee. Yeah, yeah, no, I know. Weird. This sucks. I pretty much lost everything. So I'm homeless now. But at least I'm not a crazy hobo hanging outside 7-Eleven as for a bite of your taquito. No siree. I've got my sanity. <sighs> One more thing. I don't exist. Believe it or not, I'm really just an illusion. A product of your insanity. So does that mean you didn't do any of those things? Yeah. But you did. All of them? Yeah. You pee in your own coffee, the pictures in your office, the shit on your keyboard, your grandparents, your kids, and that fire. Well, either way, my wife didn't cheat on me. Yeah, but she was burned alive inside the house. Figures. I'm devastated. This is really horrible. Such a tragedy, you know? It's just one of those days, I guess. I fucking hate Mondays. Another sip of coffee. So, how's that coffee treating you? It's good. Blackout. Hey, Evan. Hey, hey. What's up? Uh, so, tell me about this sketch. Tell me about this uh, bad employee. Where did it come from? So, bad employee is a sketch. Um, full disclosure, it's so long ago now that I can't remember if I wrote it or my friend Tony wrote it, but I believe it's like seared in my memory that this was, we both basically sat down and improvised together kind of like at, you know, at a desk and Mm -hmm. came up with this sketch. Um, Because a lot of these jokes, I'm like, Oh yeah, that's, that's me. Oh, that was Tony. (laughs) Oh, that was me. You know, like that's how I remember it. Uh, Tony might have a different recollection of it, but this is, probably the oldest sketch I can think of, especially that I've written down. And this is from, I think we probably wrote this our junior year of college. This is around 2006, 2007. Okay. Um, what, why do you decide to write a sketch with your buddy, Tony? 
So we had been doing improv for a few years. We were at um, Fairfield University in Southern Connecticut, and we were really into improv, long form improv there. And, you know, like many an improv journey, I think we wanted to do more written stuff. We wanted to be able to put up a sketch show. We wanted to be able to film some things. And we were really, we were like really big on Stella around that time mm. and a lot of sort of things that had come out of the state. So I think we saw that kind of, you know, three dude sketch team and four of us, Tony and I being half of the crew, we kind of like put together this little sketch team from within the improv teams that we were on at the school. Um, so we had this little this little sketch team called Shy Girls, which we did like one or two shows. And then we filmed a couple of things, including nice. this one. Yeah. Uh, so this is, does this exist on the internet currently? I don't think it does. I okay. think I think the age of this sketch being filmed meant that it was uploaded to our MySpace. Mm. And that certainly has not continued to exist. <laughs> yeah, I think... I- there's this weird time in comedy, especially where like in like the mid two thousands where the technology has died. So I feel like we've lost like a generation yeah. of I'm, stuff. I mean, YouTube was brand new, um, like 2005, I guess. I think a lot of people hadn't figured it out yet. There were a lot of places you could post video. I remember, um, you know, nascent internet video sketch team at the time, Derek comedy was posting a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And like many other folks, they were just hosting it directly on their website. Like they just uploaded videos. It, they sat on their website. And it wasn't until a couple years after, probably like around the time most of them were even graduating college or a little bit after they, they switched over and you could see that, oh, you can find Derek on YouTube now. Yeah. But it was like, oh, that's cool. I wonder why they did that or I wonder if that'll last. But it was one of those things where it was like, yeah, that was smart, <laughs> you know? Yeah, it, at, in, at the same time, at least at that time, it, it kind of felt counterintuitive for a lot of people. I mean, as you mentioned, like people are just hosting stuff on their own website, but like to allow your material to be hosted on some other thing. Yeah. Like YouTube, where it's not directly like, you know, yeah. involving you want, you. you want people going to you know, DerekComedy.com, which is like where you have all your stuff It's where people can see everything. And so, um, yeah, it was a very different, very different landscape back then. Uh, So do you have an earliest memory of comedy? Like what, what was your first thing that got you really into? My um, earliest in terms of like watching real comedy, Mm -hmm. aside from, you know, making kids laugh, (laughs) like in a schoolyard and stuff. Um, I really, our house, for whatever reason, we were really into In Living Color. And I loved that show. I watched a lot of that as a very young kid in the 90s. And um, it didn't hurt that, you know, like one of the breakout stars from that show is Jim Carrey, like the one goofy white dude on the show. And he immediately had like this like rocket ship movie career. So I think that watching that watching the living color a lot really liking him and then watching him do so many movies was a very early part of me having some idea of like oh yeah that's cool i want to be him you know um so that was definitely an early early memory that's it's so wild because like i i remember watching the living color too as um, seven whatever Mm -hmm. however old i was when it was on i have so little memory of jim carrey being on it like I vaguely yeah. remembered Fire Marshal Bill. Yeah. But like the big things that like really stuck in my memory were like the two handers uh, that Damon Wayans and um, David Al Green did. David mm-hmm. Al Greer did. Like right. for whatever reason, those two were the, the standouts for me in my memory. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that the that show had so many great bright spots, I think. And it was such a great showcase for so many of those people. There's a lot of stuff on the show that doesn't hold up, you know, very much a product of its time. Mm-hmm. But um, like the comedic talent and the ability to get a laugh and embody those characters, I think so many people did really, really well. 
but I don't know what it was. There was something specifically like fire marshal bill was probably my favorite character, <laughs> you know? And there was, um, there was this other character whose name I don't remember, but he was basically like a kid who never got his umbilical cord cut. And so he had, was always attached to his mom as an adult, oh. um, which was very fucked up, but I like loved that sketch. And that was Jim Carrey as well. Um, and he, I think this ended up being something that I can even see reflected today. Although it certainly isn't like a, an arc I thought about uh, over the years, but I'm like, he was lots of times the white guy getting dunked on by a majority black cast. And yeah. I think I was like, Oh, that's great. Cause I grew up in a, I didn't have, I don't mean great in like a cool social justice way. I mean, like I just grew up in a very white town and I was like, Oh, cool. Like not everyone's like me and him. Like there's, there's contrast to that. You can, you can not be the regular guy, you know, in a group of people. And so I think even that was kind of like fun just to me as a kid to be like, Oh yeah, cool you know yeah. something different yeah and i grew up in, in in inner city philadelphia and my my schools were fairly integrated fairly diverse and mm-hmm. i remember the kids loving in living color like yeah because it probably was like two or three like of the top two or three like quote unquote like black comedy shows yeah there was because it was like that like fresh prince was probably around and yeah, I think it was also what else? It was great because it got me to watch some other shows that maybe I wouldn't have seen otherwise. Like I watched a lot of Martin as a kid, like uh, and I think that was partially because of just I was like, oh, yeah, you know, it has kind of a similar vibe to to in living color. I watched a lot of living single around that time, too. Um, like those were popular shows. I think a lot of people were a lot of white folks were watching them. But yeah. it was also something where I'm like, I, yeah, I don't know if I would have, you know, sat with it for an episode or two or changed the channel to find other some other dumb entertainment but i think certainly watching living color was just like oh yeah cool i like recognize some of these guest actors it's you know it's really fun i know them from that other thing i like so it was helpful in that regard i don't think i ever got into martin because i i want to say that was my boy scout night Oh yeah. so, so I always missed it. So like going to school, like all the kids would like be quoting stuff. I was like, sorry guys, I was tying knots somewhere. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I definitely lost a lot of hours in front of the television as a kid. So I <laughs> uh, watch all kinds of stuff. <laughs> uh so what is your first step? I mean, you mentioned doing long form in college. How do you how do you start performing and getting into doing mm. improv, at least that first step? that was probably the real first step i had a i had the tiniest of intros in a drama class in high school and when i say drama i mean like um an english class where you're just reading yeah like shakespeare and learning about structure of you know story essentially but we did it we that teacher had us do like a little bit of short form games just for fun and we all knew that we all knew it from whose line is it anyway but then when I got to college, you know, I had that memory of like, oh, that was fun. And the very first weekend at my school, the very first weekend of orientation for the freshmen, one of the things you have to go to is essentially a sketch show that the improv people put on. Um, it's almost a little ironic because there was never like there, were, there weren't regularly established sketch teams in any way at the school but then once a year all the people that do improv would show up early to school and then write a show for the freshmen and then that would be the only sketch comedy they do for the entire year oh that's interesting and i saw that and they they had also framed this sketch show so that they could include some improv so they they framed the whole thing as the olympics like it was like an essentially an olympics themed sketch show mm-hmm. so they could do like games you know, like short form games, essentially as competitions in between sketches. And it was really funny. I loved it. It was obviously like made for us incoming freshmen. So there were a lot of these specific jokes and things. There was also a lot of stuff you could tell was probably over our head, like inside jokes about the college that we didn't know yet. But that's, that's fun because you're kind of like oh what was that i i want to get that you know it almost gives you like an anticipation of like oh one of these days i'll understand this and like yes yes and um so i remember just i saw that i thought it was really fun and i was just like 
Oh, so they announce at the end that they say that they're going to have auditions in a couple of weeks for their improv teams and it's open. So anyone can come small school. It's not like there was a ton of, you know, acting theater majors or anything like that to fill up every theater spot on campus. So you felt like as a non-acting, non-theater person, like you're like, oh, that sounds like something I'm allowed to do. Mm -hmm. And I would have absolutely forgotten about it or missed the date or whatever, except one guy on the on the like improv team was so tall that I would recognize him anytime I saw him on campus. <laughs> and I saw him I saw him in the campus center like a week and a half later. And I was like, hey man, you were in that uh, comedy thing. When are those auditions? You know, and I think he said tomorrow, you know, at this time, at this place. Showed up. I was figured, I was like, man, I met so many people at orientation. I've met so many people in my dorm. I'm gonna know like a good handful of people there and it's gonna be cool and chill. Uh, and of course I knew no one. I was scared absolutely out of my mind. <laughs> I was just like, had no, I had no onstage experience. And through the, through the grace of some very kind upperclassmen, they like really held my hand and others into like their first improv scenes, these like few exercises, and then really encouraged, they did a workshop essentially. And then they encouraged you to come back and audition like a half hour later or whatever right. it is. And like, I had no idea about this, but they basically just put everybody on teams. You know, they sort of just stratify the teams by experience level. Mm-hmm. And I kind of had to be convinced to come back and audition. And I'm so happy I did. But that was really the first, the first steps into it was getting convinced to do improv. And then kind of also to my surprise is like, we learned long form improv. That's what we were learning. We weren't learning short form, which I think, in the mid, this was like 2004 in Connecticut was probably an outlier at that time. I think every place was mostly learning short form unless you were yeah. like a Illinois, Chicago area school, right, exactly. probably, or you happen to be at maybe like NYU or some other Manhattan colleges where like UCB had infiltrated enough yeah. of the culture. Um, or you happen to be like us, which was we had an adjunct theater teacher at our school who happened to like have her Chicago training and she had gone to do like her master's in Florida and built up this incredible long form team there. And then she landed in this little school in Connecticut and just brought it with her. She had brought this like nineties pedigree, you know, Chicago long form attitude at that point to like two different parts of the country. Yeah. I feel like, um, I talked to someone recently and I was like, I don't think we realize or give credit to how much whose lines that anyway changed comedy in America. Mm-hmm. And then that infiltration of that Chicago improv style, like, well, even like, however you want to do it versus the second city versus the IO UCB models, like right, right. the idea that people went to Chicago, took these classes and then it was like, almost like missionaries, like spread mm-hmm. the gospel around <laughs> the country, you know, like where yeah. like every, every major city has probably like some branch of someone that went to one of the schools in Chicago yeah, and has basically planted their flag and started. So you just happened to have the one that ended up in Fairfield, Connecticut. Like, yeah, that's what it felt like, you know, and the time before, so like rapid social media use and being able to produce video really easily too. It was interesting because if you wanted to know about this stuff, you like read about it. You would read a book that somebody wrote about improv or you would like, you know, you might catch blogs that people were writing about things, but you kind of didn't have a way to see it um, in a way that's very different. Like now, if you hear about a certain I don't know, you know, comedy happening somewhere. It's like probably someone's doing it right on your phone. Um, You can probably pick it up and see exactly what that is and you can copy it and do it yourself. But there's a whole, there are a couple of generations probably of comedians, like especially with improv where like they were reading someone describing improv and then you're up there with your team being like, okay, well, let's see how, (laughs) and then you do what you think they're describing. And then years later, you're kind of like, was that, that like was that a herald was that was that you know 
whatever form they were trying to describe was that purely improvised what what is a group game like we didn't know we didn't really know what all those things were per se and um and even i think in the scripted world it's like you had to point to media that had been recorded and frankly you know i mean like uh, luckily there was a lot more of that you know like you have a lot more touchstones you could say like oh i've seen a lot of different kinds of sketch comedy at this yeah, point yeah sketch comedy has existed on television yeah dating back to the start of television like right but improv I think you would, is so new like yeah it was really new and i least, think yeah in that form exactly and i think we were you have like this idealist we probably had this idealist thing in our head at the time too which was like we want to learn improv and be like amazing at it it's this art form it's really like philosophical too like we were really drinking all the kool-aid you could drink about improv at that point in time but we wanted that to inform sketch comedy and i think there was a lot of high hopes and ideas around kind of imbuing sketch comedy with those sort of ideas a sort of ethos so you know then when we started getting a lot of television or sketch comedy that was just bullet points and not really fully scripted but was largely improvised it felt yeah. i think like oh cool you can do that you know yeah. um and there was a spirit to of silliness to some of the sketch that we liked. like we talked about we liked stella and um stuff that had come out of the state and it felt very silly like and as a college kid i was like oh that's great you don't have to you don't have to be a master impressionist you don't necessarily have to be like a great trained actor like do what you think is funny, yeah. even if it feels dumb to someone else. And there's probably an audience for you. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned, you know, as years go by, you're doing in private college. Uh, you have this quartet of shy girls. Mm -hmm. So after you leave college, what's your next step? Like to yeah. pursue comedy, to start I gotta... unquote, being professional. <laughs> my, my, my plan for leaving college was that I didn't really have much of one as a true improviser, but I was, um, I went to, I remember I went to like one job fair at college and I was just like, cool. Well, if I don't get a job out of school, you know, I'll just move to Chicago or New York so I can do more of this comedy stuff mm -hmm. and I'll figure it out. And we, had, we were lucky. We had like some alums in both cities that I could have, you know, just like asked for how the hell do I get started? Where do I go? All yeah. that kind of stuff. And I got a job in Boston and I'm from near Boston. And so nice. I just like moved back into my dad's house and immediately I had already taken it in summers in college. I'd taken a couple classes at improv Boston, which is famously in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And um, so I just immediately went back, signed up for classes there and got on like a Herald night team pretty quickly because again, I was like lucky. I came out of college having done Herald's, which just, a lot of college kids hadn't at that point yeah and and harold knight was really really new to improv boston i think it was still in its first year maybe its second year so i was able to like get on stage pretty quickly there and then my friend and i who i had gone to school and become like an improviser he had gone to school and become a stand-up and we sort of hadn't really talked about that much in like the four <laughs> years we were in college but we we were both like we were like the two chumps living back at home after school and so we we both just started hanging out all the time and signed up for sketch classes together uh started a sketch team there at improv boston with some other folks from classes and then some other folks we had met you know in the community and we like wrote a pilot together and just that was like the beginning of okay cool i'm out of college yeah i'm working this job but i'm also collaborating every week with this guy this friend of mine who i think is so funny and taking classes and performing regularly so that was kind of the start of it there um and we yeah i helped produce like one of their sketch nights for a few years in boston nice. and then moved down here um to new york after kind of a similar thing as to college i was just i was either gonna i was planning to leave my job and move to new york or chicago because that's really what i wanted to do and then my job actually offered me a job in New York at the time. Oh, nice. So I just took a job in New York, moved here, immediately started taking a bunch of improv classes and eventually found my way back to sketch. But I had like a break. I probably took 
Mm, I probably took almost five years off of doing sketch comedy when I moved oh, wow. here. Um, so what was the sketch team in Boston called? We were called Lightning Hawks. Okay. Um, we did not have a super long career. We had a real... <laughs> We, we were like supposed to be a class show essentially of, of yeah. a graduation of a class. And it was one of those things where like, you felt like you came out the, the gates, just gangbusters, you know, we were like, ah, oh, that show is awesome. We must be the best sketch students this theater has ever had. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's, you have like all these delusional sort of thoughts after you have a good show. Um, and we ended up putting up a couple other shows or at least like sketches on a regular basis. Um, but you know, everyone has different priorities. And I think yeah. we just were like too big of a group to really coalesce, but um, factions of that group continue to work together for years. Uh, cool. I know that there's been like a couple writing partners that came out of that group that have done a lot of stuff since then. Um, so it was a good, it was a good group of people. It just, you know, I like, I, I'm one of the people that left. I moved to New York, <laughs> you know, while that group was still in existence. So yeah, it's always funny to see, like, at least, you know, in the before times, in the pre-pandemic world, like, seeing a, like, an improv class or a sketch class actually, like, be like, yeah, we're going to be a team. And then, like, it just, like, <laughs> unravels that quickly, like, of course. within six months. It's, like, you know, that that change in priority, that change in scheduling. Yeah. It just, course, yeah. When a, when a sketch team lasts more than uh, two years, it's legitimately almost a miracle. Like. I agree. Um I agree a hundred percent. So you moved to New York for a job. Uh, mm-hmm. Where do you go? Do you go to UCB? Do you go to Pitt? Do you go to magnet? Like what is um, your, your course when you get to New York? Uh, I was a little bit all of the above. So I was lucky. I kind of mentioned I had friends, alumni already living in New York because of going to school in Southern Connecticut. I kind of knew some of the theaters already. I'd come mm-hmm. down to see shows, things like that. Yeah, because I mean, you're, I mean, you're, I mean, first, I'm going to make a joke about Southern Connecticut because Connecticut's <laughs> so small. How is there even a South Connecticut? But like, yes, <laughs> you're, you're within driving range train ticket yeah. to New York as those theaters are rising up. So like, yeah, I, like, um, I, I probably was at, so the summer between my junior and senior year, I stayed on campus and most weekends either Friday or Saturday night, I would come down to watch him, like see some improv. I would jump on the train, come in. It's like an hour 15 from Fairfield. And I had nothing to do. Not bad at all. Yeah. And the tickets are so cheap. Like a college kid can actually afford it, you know? And I, there was a point in time where you could. So I knew about magnet because the kids that had graduated already had started studying there because Armando Diaz was like a big, big name Mm -hmm. in the improv world. And it was like Armando's theater. So, and the first long form I ever learned, like most people was the Armando. So it was just like, that's a real guy. You can go (laughs) see his stuff at his theater. It was very cool. Um, And it was where most of my friends, I think like spiritually quote in quotes had landed. They were like magnet people. So I'd go down You'd get to Magnet for the seven o'clock show. It was this team or like a show called Tiny Spectacular, which was basically all of the teachers at Magnet, which included a lot of UCB folks also at the time. And then you could just leave that show, follow half of the show over to UCB (laughs) and watch them perform as mother, which was like one of the big weekend teams Mm -hmm. at the time. And then if you felt like getting home late, you could then stay for whatever the late show was. I think that was Friday night's. I think that might have been Ruben Williams at the time, but don't quote me. <laughs> I was young, but it's like um, I could go see, you know, three of the best improv shows in New York for I think at the time that whole thing would have been under 25 bucks. Yeah. And so I would do that a little bit. So when I got here after, you know, changing jobs and stuff or uh, moving my job, I just immediately signed up for classes at UCB and Magnet. I knew my home was going to be a magnet. I knew that to be true just because that's where my friends were. I, a group of alumni, actually, they were a Friday night show at magnet at the time. Like I could oh, wow. show up on Friday nights at nine or whatever it was and just see five guys I went to college with <laughs> on stage. And then the audience was like half of us from school. You know, there was a real moment where there was a lot of Fairfield representation at magnet theater. And so I could do that. It was really fun. But I also knew that I wanted to 
you know, I wanted to fucking do this thing. So I also was taking classes at UCB. Like I knew I wanted to be on the biggest stage I could be on. So I just really dove in. And that's part of why I took a break from sketch was because I basically did the improv curriculum at two different theaters and at Magnet, it's a lot shorter, you know, uh, ramp to get on stage. So then I was on teams there and improv was most of my free time for those first handful of years in New York before I really was just like, I got to get back to doing stuff that's written. It took a while, you know? And you did the full track like at both theaters. Yeah. I probably finished magnet within a year and less than a year and a half close Mm -hmm. to that. And UCB maybe a little bit like another six months, like two years, basically. I had to take a few months off of UCB just to, I had like got on my first house team at Magnet, had other stuff in my life going on and just could not swing at all. But also the other thing I would be, I I hate myself. I didn't mention is when I got to Magnet, uh, my friend Tony featured in this sketch was uh, like a student at Magnet as well. I think he had already even graduated from the program and he was putting together an indie team and it was three of us from my school and a couple of their like amazing folks from Magnet. And we started an indie team that we we did like five years together. And we wow. did a lot of shows. We hosted, we were hosting like two different monthly shows, um, one at like a bar, one at one of the pit stages. And that was also a big part of what we were doing with weekly rehearsals. So it was just like for several years there, you know, I had my indie team once a week i had one to two classes a week if not one of those classes just got replaced by a house team <laughs> so it was just like three to five nights a week i was probably doing improv for those first few years in new york and so that's, is is there so a lucky. moment where you're like i need to get back into writing like is there like an aha moment there i think it's just th- no it wasn't an aha moment it was constant guilt about not doing this other thing you know Mm. typical typical performer comedy stuff of just being like man i'm not doing enough i'm not good enough whatever that kind of thing and knowing that i wanted to be doing sketch and i wasn't doing it because you know Mm. it takes more time it's like improv is easy you show up you do you do the improv you go home like (laughs) you come to the building you do like around the zip zap zap and then get on stage for 30 minutes and that's it like yeah but but magnet was building out its yeah what it was was magnet was building out its sketch teams at the time and Mm -hmm. had like i think had finally like really gotten its footing and obviously i'd been like paying attention to it quite a bit and i think maybe by the time i got on my first team at magnet i might have already I actually worked at Magnet for a few years. Um, I think I might have actually already been working there. And at that point, I was just like, this is my whole thing. My whole thing is doing improv and sketch and comedy stuff right now. I wasn't working the the bigger time job that had moved me to New York or anything like that anymore. So I was just like, I have no excuses. I have more free time. If I need flexibility, I work at the place I'm performing at. You know, I was like, they'll get it. So let's just go back into sketch so in 2015, I think, or 2000, maybe end of 2014, I finally was just like, great, let's throw some sketches together, put a packet in, do an audition. And I got put on a team uh, very coincidentally with another alumni from my school who was several years younger than me. Um, and so that was kind of like a nice full circle thing. And then since then, I've basically been back doing sketch comedy through different magnet teams um, then at UCB and now kind of on our own. Uh, so is like you mentioned having multiple magnet teams is there like a rotation that happens within the magnet program like where like you only are are going like for a season or two yeah there was we um magnet everything was ostensibly operating on like three month periods but that it's really like six months essentially you were like the sketch director would make sure to check in with everybody every three months and give you like, Hey, how you doing? You know, can mm-hmm. we, can we do better? Or like, you guys are killing it, whatever. Yeah. And if you were really maybe, you know, a dumpster fire, you, you might get cut at like a three month mark, but probably not. So I think generally six months, most teams probably run a year. They kind of get, you know, a second chance to be like, Hey, let's 
maybe some people left. So you plug in, a, do a couple plugins, see what happens with the team. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got put on a, my second team at the theater. I got put on a team that we just felt we were good immediately. And even if that wasn't true, but we, we felt co- like we felt like we were stable, I guess is the thing. And with a lot of teams, just that is hard to accomplish. And what team is that? That team was called the executives. They are okay, still yeah. in existence. I actually embarrassingly, I think I'm wearing an executives <laughs> stage shirt right now, but we, so that became like my home sketch team for years because what ended up happening with us is I think we went through two seasons um, of being a house sketch team and we were an ambitious team. We thought we were good and we were sitting there at magnet looking at UCB and we said, Hey, for a couple of years now, maybe even a handful of years at that point, UCB had had a weekend sketch team and it would usually, you know, rotate every year or two. The team would probably do it until they got burnt out, frankly. And then whoever the best mod team is would sort of end up taking this Mm -hmm. Friday night sketch slot that they would have. And they would, I think they would do like, I don't know if they would run the show every week, but maybe it was every couple weeks. I can't remember what the calendar was, but we basically looked at that and we said, there should be weekend sketch at magnet. We want people that like sketch comedy. We want people to be able to like come and see what magnet is saying. Like, this is the best sketch we have to offer. It's on the weekends. It's got its own slot. You don't just write a sketch. and It goes up on once on a Monday night and then no one ever sees it again. Yeah. So we pitched and kind of, you know, convinced, I guess, magnet to be like, put us up every Friday night. We'll do a every show Friday. We'll do a show a month. We okay. will write, we will write a new show, perform it four to five times. Okay. Okay. And, okay. While, and while we're performing the show, we will write the next the month's next show. Going. And we did that until the pandemic. And so that, that team, I have not been on the team in a few years now, but that team has continued. It's kind of been, um, I think in some ways the flagship of magnets sketch program, but it's been joined, which is uh, by other teams, which is also really great. The nitro girls is another yeah. Friday night sketch team that kicks ass at magnet. And they, they joined us maybe after like our second season on Fridays, something like that. And, um, and now the executives is a full, uh, I forget what's the terminology for the ship where you've replaced every single part of it. And is it the original yeah, ship yeah, or yeah. Um, The executives, I think, has had a total of 29 or 30 members at this point. It is, it is a fully replaced team, but I think still holds true to being really just like great, great stuff. Um, but yeah, finding I- that team, finding that team and getting that together and getting us established on Fridays, that was like what a lot of the original members of that team like we were so happy that happened and once it was kind of there that's when we all kind of started being like cool let's figure out what's next and people sort of started you know peeling off to do their own thing because you mentioned executives and i i've heard of them and i was just like i was like starting to like really wreck my brain like and i'm sure you probably saw me have like a blank look for a moment of like (laughs) like oh crap which which house teams are which i'm trying to remember what like yeah Metro girls like which ones are pit which ones are magnet like yeah because i've heard of so many of those teams like that do those like friday night shows and then you say every week which like terrified me and then you're like <laughs> oh we we write one show a month and we just repeat i was like oh okay like few like yeah because I, I would tell my friends i'm like come to the second or third week those are probably the best <laughs> right <weeks."> exactly like <laughs> we figured yeah. it out but we're not burnt out yet um <laughs> But yeah, yeah we, I mean, we've, that's... we've, we've gotten the kinks out of it. <laughs> we look, but we, we don't hate the material yet. Like, yeah, that's exactly. exactly. That's exactly what it is. But some of those shows, man, I'm so proud of like what that team has put up over the years. And frankly, after I left, I think they maybe have even put up their best shows. Like mm. definitely the most ambitious stuff that they've done was just in the last year or two. Um, they did. I, they did this murder mystery in reverse. That is one of the best shows okay, so I've ever seen. That was the other thing. I was like, I swear <laughs> I've seen the executives and they actually came down to Philly Sketchfest and did it. Yeah. They did that murder mystery skit show, which yeah. is a really fun concept. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was a great show. Yeah, it's it was really they've done a lot of really cool, really ambitious shows that are also just hilarious. Um, 
so huge, like shout out to that team. Um, and I'm really lucky now on my current team, I get to be on a team with a former executive, uh, Carly Silverman, who's on Young Douglas with me, was writing for the executives for a couple of years. And she's just so damn funny. So, so how do you get in onto how, what, where does Young, Young Douglas come in? <laughs> Young Douglas comes from, uh, you know, I, I probably auditioned for Mod for like five years, six years. I mean, uh, so Mod Night, the house sketch team night at UCB in New York and LA. Um, usually once you're at a certain point in the improv curriculum, you're allowed to at least audition as an actor there. Mm-hmm. So I probably started auditioning around the time I was really starting to do sketch it at Magnet because I felt, you know, confident again. I felt like I had some material I could probably do. And yeah, you know, it's like everything. I'd had years where I'd gotten a callback. I'd had years where I'd gotten two callbacks. I'd had years where I didn't get anything, you know, within that span. And, you know, frankly, I could probably be like, yeah, <laughs> I didn't deserve it that year. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. that wasn't a very good audition, you know, like, et cetera. And um, for whatever reason, end of 2019, that was the audition that did it for me. And I got put on this team, Young Douglas, which was everyone's first mod team. So a lot of times at theaters, you know, folks aren't super familiar with how they work. Like a lot of times in a casting round for improv or sketch, they'll make like one team that's rookies. Mm -hmm. Um, Whereas lots of other teams are like a mix of fresh faces, veterans, you know, you kind of like make the combined forces, like what's the best team. And then sometimes you just take a shot and a bunch of new people. And I think that that is what this team was for that round we were definitely the only team that was all new to mod and so it was cool like a lot of good energy a lot of um excitement about being there i think you know you don't have a bunch of jaded old veterans which i think is awesome it's a huge asset for any sketch team to have any improv team to have but it also wasn't people that were totally green to the process like Carly and I both came from the executives, a team that put up a show every month, every week, you know, and a bunch of other people on the team had been doing sketch at um, the pit or Boogie Manja, which was sort of this like independent pit thing kind of in between those two worlds. But again, essentially a house team night. Um, And we have like an amazing character performer on the team in Uh, Adrian, who had done Characters Welcome at UCB. So she was really used to that rigor, you know, and like what it takes to kill it on stage. So it was a bunch of new people, but it also came with, I think, a lot of people who had like a lot of secret experience, you know. And that's been the biggest asset this whole year and a half. We got put together, we got to do two shows, everything shut down. We felt great about those shows. And when you have a bunch of, I think, people that are new to something, they don't just like, they don't, you know, take no for an answer. They don't kind of, um, like, they're excited. There's ambition. They don't have other stuff going on necessarily that they immediately jump to. So Young Douglas was just like, cool, let's figure out how to film stuff in the pandemic. Let's put stuff on online. And I think we did six shows that we filmed virtually all in our own apartments with the help of our partners and friends and all that stuff. And so when the squirrel launched uh, the squirrel theater in New York, which is a bunch of UCB veterans, they were just like, Hey, why don't you kind of be a part of this? So we're, uh, we're probably one of, I think like, I think a bunch of mod teams are still around in some way, shape or form, but I would say, I think we probably ended up like producing the most original material over Mm. the last year and a half. What is that like? I mean, you mentioned you only did two shows before the shutdown. Like, what is it like to pivot as a relatively new team immediately to this new format of doing everything virtually online, video, Zoom, however you want to do it, and then pivoting back to that live thing? Because I think Acorns might have been the first show I knew of that was doing sketch on the East Coast, like live and in person. I yeah. feel like I could be wrong. I don't want hate sure. mail from some team in Boston <laughs> that might have been first, but like Acorns right. was the first thing I knew of. Yeah. That was back yeah. on stage. Yeah, it's been it's been a ride, you know. It's it's kind of like 
you know, it's like whatever. Come up with analogies. Surfing, it's skiing, it's something. It's like you're just trying mm-hmm. to stay up, keep your feet under yourself, you know. When everything shut down, we were three days away from putting on our third show. So we'd oh, rehearsed yeah. this whole thing. We were like, you know, we were about to go tech that show and we had to not do that. So I think people really felt like the rug was kind of pulled out from under them and really they felt like, hey, we have all this great stuff. Can we do something with it? When is, when are we going to come back? We don't know. Maybe it's going to be soon. Maybe it won't be soon. But I think that pretty quickly we realized that we should at least like, hey, what if we did a digital thing and then the theaters opened up again, you know, like in three months and we're the only team that did something in those three months instead of like, you know, the normal reaction of everyone was just like, what the fuck's going on? Let me lay down for like a a few months and just like figure out my own sanity. So I think there was a little bit of that of kind of like, yeah, we'll be the team that did something, you know, so let's do it. And so the gear started turning and then we did it and it came out so great. And that's a testament to everybody on the team. It's also a big testament to Devin Gant, who is a great video editor who's on our team. And he really like made our first show look great. And mm. we, I think we were just like, oh, cool. Like that came out <laughs> way better than we all thought. And so I think that really started to build the momentum. And then we were in this cycle of doing digital shows mm. and that just became its own thing. It's always such a good surprise when you're expecting like some baseline of of anything and one of your teammates or something just helps you completely excel and go over that line like yeah a, a great video editor like is so is so awesome to have around so, like so clutch <laughs> <laughs> truly really like made it for us um and then yeah and then when squirrel started doing digital shows we thought great we're already doing these digital shows this might give us a little bit more eyes on what we're doing so let's say yes to that And then when they were planning their reopening, you know, we were like the most, I think because we'd done two or three Squirrel shows digitally already, you know, we probably were the most consistent sketch team that was essentially doing things at Squirrel. So we knew when they were reopening, we're like, hopefully we can do things with them. Michael reached out to us, the artistic director, and basically made us that offer where he wanted to have a sketch night, which makes... Mm perfect sense and so he asked us to host it it kind of starts to create a little bit of like a oh there's a sketch night again now there's a night where you can reliably go see new sketch comedy in new york city and as a part of that too you know we get to do a saturday night show every so often basically when we can put them up so it's been a nice thing you know i think we we obviously had to figure out how to produce a show that's not us and that's been it's that's been the most recent learning curve and that was the biggest undertaking we've had most recently was like great we have to get sketch teams out produce this thing host this thing every single week that's new skills for a lot of us and at the same time we need to throw together like an hour-long sketch show what is the actual like format of the acorn show like it's generally young douglas hosting and then yeah two other acts basically yeah it it functions um, a little bit similar to mod night, you know, or any other house team night, but without the ongoing structure of house teams per se. But mm. basically we host two shows every Monday night back to back. There's an intermission in between and we'll book, you know, we'll book anything from a solo character show to just kind of traditional sketch comedy, like what we do, maybe to a thematic sketch show, something that feels like narrative or themed in a certain way or like musical sketch you know anything that falls under that scripted umbrella um Mm. we'll do 25 to 30 minute sets so there'll be two of them each night two different acts uh so you get to come and see two different flavors of sketch comedy on every monday night and then we host so you know obviously we're up there to to look pretty at the top of the show and in between and all that stuff but we'll also try out new sketches. We'll show some of the videos that we've made in the past. We'll do hosting bits, impressions, thing like things like that. But, you know, we, we're trying not to steal the spotlight. It's yeah. it's really a place for us to try stuff out that might make its way into a future Young Douglas show. Yeah, it must be hard. Like the idea of being a, ho- a sketch comedy host 
like a sketch comedian host on a sketch comedy show but you don't want to kill the focus for the, the your your guests essentially like yeah so far i don't think it's been too much of a challenge for us again because of the sort of trial and error nature of the hosting it's not like we're necessarily coming out and like doing the best sketch you've ever seen and then we're passing it off to someone who's trying out a new show it's like yeah. no usually usually they're the best part of the show and we're just like trying to warm you up a little bit right i think that's how it's been <laughs> um yeah it's just like there's a part of me that's so excited about like what comedy is going to come out of you know the reopening like it's going to go it's going to be so slow but the fact that like we are starting to like tiptoe our way back to normal and full theater experiences like it's just so like you know so heartening and just happy yeah. like um we i always ask people this we didn't mention it earlier you mentioned being more of a in living color fan but Saturday Night live mm-hmm. everyone has ever you know always seen Saturday Night live do you have a favorite cast member historically favorite cast member historically from saturday night live um that's a great it's it's tough for me i loved sandler when i was a kid um and we've been talking about sandler a lot because we just had somebody impersonate him in our show last night (laughs) and you know he kind of has like a bad rap i think like at this point in time just from like you know the snobby comedy crowd because yeah. it's like we all thought he was a genius when we were in middle school or whatever and now we're like ah oh, hubie halloween really like that's what we're doing and i think we've had a lot of, i've had a lot of conversations recently where i'm like leo let's lay off adam sandler he's like great at what he does it's you know you get to be you can be more than one thing in your lifetime as a comedian. right like the idea <laughs> that like I don't know if it's if it's fair to say that you've aged out of his audience or you're just no longer in his audience. Yeah. But he still has an audience. And just because it's yes. not for you, yeah. Don't be a dick. Like exactly. You know, like the blue collar tour, like right. You right. know, an urban county circuit or whatever like that. Just because it's not marketed for you. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Someone's digging it. So yeah. Like if I they're think, not yeah. Other favorites, though, I would say I think A.D. Bryant is one of the best all time. Um, it's been such a joy to watch her, you know, mm. since she's been on. Um, yeah, I love her. And I think back in the day, too, I like this is, again, dating myself, but like the best of DVDs, easily the Will Ferrell ones I watched the most. Yeah. And he also does something that like I've never been capable of his brand his like way of just being the totally the person who like doesn't know what's going on and can like really be weird in a group of people it's like he's so good at it so good at like that deadpan thing and yeah i'm always forever jealous of it another guy who we you know we might have aged out of his yeah like audience space too like like, but then again, then he comes out of nowhere and does something so weird and so cool. Like, yeah, you, you get his like his cred immediately comes back. Like, I mean, a lot of people to, you know, again, dumb, snobby comedy people like us. It's like a lot of people don't love Fallon, you know, and I loved Jimmy Fallon when I was younger. Uh, I identified with the guy who like couldn't keep his shit together in a sketch because mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, if my friends are being funny it's really hard for me to not laugh at them. Yeah. And, and I liked that you got to see who he was like it, it, for all, whatever faults that is in the world of sketch comedy. I'm like, we felt like we knew who Jimmy Fallon was when he was on SNL. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. And that is something that I love. And I think like that sincerity for me always breaks through a lot of other noise where I just like tend to like a person. Cause I'm like, Oh yeah, I feel like I know you. So I don't mind that, you know, maybe this impression isn't the best or you maybe like that sketch got a little flubbed because you couldn't hold it together. I'm like, I appreciate that. I think it's endearing and I get why a lot of America loves him, you know? Like, I just remember like, you know, in 2016 where you got all the flack about like that interview with Trump. Like, Mm -hmm. what do you expect from Jimmy Fallon? Like, yeah, that's he's not going to ask hard-hitting questions like he's jimmy fallon 
on the tonight show yeah what do you want from him like yeah it's yeah i mean jimmy fallon his time on snl like like i like that was like probably like my golden age of really watching as a teenager and like Mm -hmm. he's just where did he come like like yeah very much a shooting star in that in that era like yes he was also in a lot of um there were a lot of massachusetts centric sketches around that time Mm. (laughs) and i from the from the boston area and i just like loved it you know (laughs) seeing everyone like hang outside lexington high school talking about how to get drunk the easiest i was just like ah music to my heart i love this and now there's this weird renaissance of like philadelphia accents showing up every (laughs) once in a while on snl and i'm just like i don't ever hear this yeah maybe yeah. i'm in the wrong part of philadelphia but like that whole like murder dirter thing like yeah yeah i mean i understand that there are tons of people in philadelphia that have a weird accent but i clearly do not have an accent so yeah my i, guess, I don't know my mission recently has been trying to bring i want to bring the vermont accent to sketch comedy <laughs> which is truly an unknown accent but there's something where i'm like I don't know. I think it's funny. Let's see if anyone gets it. <laughs> yeah, let's get let's get as hyper regional, like as niche as pinpoint on the map as possible. Yeah. And play with those accents of, you know, like because like let's get more Pittsburgh out there because their yeah. accents awful. Like, yeah, they sound I, gross. I think ultimately what people <laughs> like is there's like if you're trying to do something super specific, super local, I'm like, if it seems true, then people are going to like it. Even if they yeah. don't know that it's correct or true. Right. Exactly. Or whatever. It's For like, sure. if it feels, if you feel like you got us to that place, then we're going to love it. You know, yeah, always go as, as specific as possible. Like yeah, it, sure. it always helps comedy. <laughs> um, so you've done a ton of classes. You've, you've learned from, you know, all the, you know, I'm not going to say masters. That feels weird, but like, <laughs> like all these great people at UCB magnet, like going back through college and everything. Is there something that you've learned about comedy or that comedy has taught you that you would pass on to a new writer? Um, yeah, I think it sounds simple, but it's like, write What you think is funny. And I even think that the advice there, I'm very much somebody who is like a theater school person. I like the system. I also think that those systems are really bad for other people. Mm -hmm. And I think that if you're at a comedy theater and they don't seem to really like what you do, then do it somewhere else. Like do not give that place more of your time, more of your money, more of your energy. Like if you think what you, if you have the thing that you think is funny and they're not feeling it, just like find the place that you can do it. And, uh, and now that we're in this like post COVID world where I yeah. think a lot of places are still doing virtual classes and stuff, that's easier than ever. Like for sure. Yeah. Um, like, and find the collaborators that light you up instead of the people that, you know, make you feel like shit. Um, I've been very lucky. And again, I like structure and I like systems, but that <laughs> I hope that's not most artists, frankly, it's like, yeah, there's so many people out there who are so talented and so, amazing and funny and it's like they don't fit into those boxes and i think it's really easy to think that you have to and you definitely you definitely don't have to write write whatever your heart desires uh and then finally i mean you started doing improv in college and you know you you saw the big tall guy and (laughs) went to the audition and everything uh why comedy why has comedy been like such a driving force of your life in the last 10 15 years I think the main reason is that it's the kinds of people I want to surround myself with. It's the people I, you know, I started to do that in college. I liked, I thought it was a funny thing. And then I met the people and I was like, well, these people are way better than the thing is. It just Mm. so happens. I like both. And um, I think probably at the intersection of the art and the people, there's an honesty to it. I'm a sucker for, truth and sincerity and all that kind of stuff and you watch you might have to watch 100 of imp- hours of improv to see you know 10 minutes of like beautiful truth but it's there yeah and i think sketch comedy in a same the same way and i guess i guess the reason i i fall to that side of it is like 
in the drama world to some extent or like regular scripted theater it's like yeah that's there that's true and it's beautiful but in all the in-between moments where i'm not finding that sincerity and not finding that truth i'd probably rather be laughing than than like you know contemplating or be moody or whatever whatever the the many emotions that can be felt within the human experience are it's like i love laughing at dumb shit and then every once in a while being like oh that really like hit me or like that really proved its point or whatever it was so i love that and there's just nothing better than hanging out with people you like and laughing very true very very true as someone who you know spent a year and a half without doing that and like having that experience the first first time a couple weeks ago it's uh it was uh, such a like a a bomb to the soul it was so good yeah it's awesome um all right thanks evan yeah thank you this has been really fun Evan Ford Barden is currently a member of Young Douglas, who hosts a weekly show with the Squirrel Theater. Every Monday night, you can see Acorns, their sketch comedy showcase, at Caveat in New York City starting at 7.30 p.m. It looks like they're taking Labor Day off, but for the rest of the month, it looks like the future guests include Emily Alcott's Choose Your Own Adventure, Scrapped, Disco Tech Support, Denise, Sex Symbols, Yes Chef, Doomsday, and Pagliacci. Young Douglas will be doing a full set at The Squirrel on September 25th at 10 p.m. Head to thesquirrelnyc.com for more information on all those shows. Follow Young Douglas on Instagram at Young Douglas Comedy, on Twitter at Young Douglas underscore, and on YouTube, you can check out their videos at youtube.com slash Douglas. And don't forget, we're still hosting our online sketch comedy incubator called Sketchybator every month. The next one is scheduled for August 27th at 10 Eastern. Sketchybator.com for more information. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketchfest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketchfest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band Nono, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like my first sketch on Facebook, follow the show on Twitter, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Stream some comedy. Go see some live comedy if you can. And rest in peace, Trevor Moore. <laughs>